who we follow. That's the sermon series that we're doing. And we're doing that because we are a church. Renaissance Church is a place where we want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to follow after him. We want to be a community that follows after Jesus. We also want to be a community that invites other people to follow Jesus because we believe that when you follow Jesus, that's the road to life, that he is life. And if you want to follow somebody, you want to get to know them. You want to be able to know their heart and their spirit. And so the way that we're doing this in this time of Advent is we're thinking about some of the names and titles of Jesus that they'll inform and help us to know Jesus better. So last week, Christian began with Messiah. Talked to us about the way uh, Messiah is, is, is talked about in Scripture. And we're going to look at different ones as we go down the line. We're going to look at the name Suffering Servant. We're going to look at the name Son of God. We're going to look at the name um, Good Shepherd. The name that we're going to look at together today is the name Savior. We're going to talk about Jesus being our Savior. And the name Savior is unique among all the names that we're going to look at. In fact, it's unique among all the names in the Bible that Jesus has given because the name Savior, that title, intersects and is combined and is brought out by his given name, Jesus. Uh, I, I want to show this to you. You can kind of see it in the scripture, but I'm going to be able to show us here some things that you might not see in English. Take a look at this passage from Matthew 1. This is the, the, the Christmas story that we all know, that the angel comes to uh, Joseph and says, your wife is going to conceive. And it's not going to be a baby that's conceived uh, by a, a man, by you or anybody. It's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then the, the angel says, here's what you should name him. He says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you see that? He says there's some kind of connection between the name Jesus and that he will save their people from their sins. Here's the connection that he's making, the angel, that we can't really see. The name of Jesus literally in Aramaic or in Hebrew means God saves. That's what the name means. It's a name which is uh, a composite of two different words. Now, the name Jesus, I'm going to put this up now. The name Jesus is a Latin translation of the name Yeshua. So the name that we use for Jesus is completely accurate. It's biblical, is Jesus. But Jesus is a translation of the name Yeshua. And that name Yeshua is made up of two different words. It's made up of Yeh, which means God or the Lord. And it's the verb Shua, which means saves. So Jesus' name literally is God saves. Embedded in his name is God saves. And this is critical to know because we're talking about an ancient Near Eastern culture where names were supposed to correspond with who you were. Uh, they had something to say about your identity. Uh, parents named their children with names that they hoped that they could live up to or that somehow would even influence who they were. That's the way that it was way back then. And that's the way that it is now, too, because we, we choose the names that we give to our children very carefully. We're thoughtful about it. It's no different now than it was back then, because you have never been to a playground and sat next to somebody and said, is yours out there? Uh-huh. He's right over there. The one in the blue sweatshirt? Yep, that's him. Oh, cute kid. Uh, is he about three and a half? Just turned four. We just had the birthday party last week. Oh, that's great. That's great. What's his name? Voldemort. Uh, we, uh, Voldemort, yeah. We, we were going to name him Darth, but um, we felt like Voldemort really had a... No, you've never... 
heard anybody say that. I don't think. Because we give names to our children that we hope that they can live up to. We give them virtue names like faith and hope. We give names of people that we care about to our children, people that we're connected to, friends and family, maybe somebody from history. Because we want our children to try to be able to live up to their names too. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the more that you learn about him, you will find him to be one of the very rare people, maybe the only person in human history who fully lived up to his name. He is God saves He is the Savior, and you can see it embedded right in his name. Both sides of his name he lives up to utterly and completely. So you take the very first part of it, and it's yeah, it's he is God. Because we know from Scripture, it tells us over and over and over again, only God can save. Jonah chapter 2 says salvation belongs to the Lord. So it has to be God who saves, and when we see Jesus, he isn't something who points us towards God. He doesn't tell us a lot about who God is. He doesn't uh, sort of uh, give us direction to God. He himself is God. We just sang about it in in the the, uh, Christmas carol. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as a man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He is God who is with us. So that very first part of his name, he is God. But he's also the God who saves, Shua. That's his name too. Jesus saves us to the uttermost. He doesn't just lift our load. He doesn't help us a little bit. Jesus utterly and completely saves us deeply and dramatically. That's his mission and that's what he does. He lives up to his name. That's completely who he is. So when we consider Jesus, now let's going back to this, to this passage from Matthew. Let's look at what the angel says about this one who is our savior. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Let's ask this question of the text. Who will Jesus save? And the answer is his people. That's right. He will save his people. And man, you guys, in these two words, there's a feast. I'm just going to give us a little bit of it here, but take a look at this. First, he saves his people. He saves his people. He will save his people. The people that Jesus saves are his. And that means the ones that he saves belong to him. And it means that even before he, he saves them, even before they believe, Even before they turn towards him, they are still his. And that means each one of us, as we came here today, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if you have gone on a path you don't, especially, you're not especially proud of. It doesn't matter. You belong to him. You are his. And and when Jesus creates you, you are his and he belongs, you belong to him. It means that's why he comes. He comes because he wants to deliver us from the things that we cannot deliver ourselves from. Jesus comes because we're his. He wants to take care of us. He's, he's like a master uh, violin maker. Imagine if you were a master violin maker and you made a violin, you put all your skill and your heart into it and you gave it to somebody, but then after a while you saw it again and, and, the, and the finish was wrong and, and there was a string or two missing and there was maybe a hole in it, it would hurt your heart. You would say, I want to fix this. It's mine. Or imagine you were an architect or a builder and you built a home and it was made for people to flourish in. A home where the sunlight comes in and rooms for deep rest and a big kitchen and a kitchen table for people to gather around. But let's say after you had built that house, you saw that there was a leak in the roof 
and the plaster was beginning to mold and come down, and the paint was peeling, if it was yours, you would want to take care of it. You would want it to be healed. You would want it to be made whole. And that's what it's like for each one of you. You are his. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. If you're not a Christian here today, I'm so glad that you're here. You don't have to uh, be a Christian to be here. We like all kinds of people on all kinds of different journeys, but I can tell you this about each one of you. You belong to him. And his intention is to make you whole. His intention is to make you who you're really supposed to be. So you are his people. But look at this now. We can put the emphasis on people. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. Who does Jesus save? He saves his people. And that's plural. That's a family. That's a community. Salvation, what it means to be in Jesus, doesn't happen individually. It's not an individualistic thing. Salvation is not individualistic. It's personal. That's certainly true. It means that each one of us have to come to Jesus. It means that each one of us, Jesus wants to give, have us give our whole selves to him. So it is personal, it's intimate, but it's not individualistic. And what that means is that each one of us is saved as a community, as a family, knit together with the people around you. It means that your salvation has something to do with the people around you, and their salvation has something to do with you. It means that God is in the business of knitting people together. There's an amazing story in the book of Acts where Peter and Cornelius are sent by two angels to talk to each other. The angels have messages for each one of them. And do you know the angels don't give the messages to Peter or Cornelius? These two people, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there are two people, they needed messages. And the angel said, you have to talk to each other. To find out what God is doing in your life, you have to talk to that other person. That's the same for each one of you. You are part of his people. And it means if you're gonna find out what your salvation is all about, you're gonna find, about, find out about it in community. Some of you know that our church right now is doing a campaign to raise money to pay for the very building that we're in. The name of the campaign is Investing in God's Mission. You've probably heard us talk about it. And I hope that each one of you, if you're a part of the Renaissance community, I really hope you're thoughtfully considering how you can contribute financially to what it means for us to invest in God's mission here. I hope that's the case. But I also hope that's the case. I've been praying about it this week. I hope that God has been laying it on all of our hearts that you're not only called to invest financially, you're also called to invest in God's mission in the people here that you have a role to play in the lives of the people around you. You have messages for them. You have comfort to give. You have challenges to give. And they have the same for you. And not only for the people in this room. I want you to, if you're part of the Renaissance community, if this is your home, I want you to hear this. You have a role to play in investing in the mission of the people who aren't here yet. There are people in this community who do not know the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, and they're not going to know it unless you invest in, filling, in, in fulfilling what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I'm saving a people. It's my people. And they're not all here, and if they're not at some other church, then they need to hear and they need to know. So, Jesus saves his people. He saves his people. Let's keep going now. Let's look at Matthew. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. What does Jesus save his people from? He saves them from their sins. 
And we don't have enough here to go on about what it means that Jesus saves us from our sins. So let me take us to another place in scripture that does talk about how Jesus saves us from our sins. Take a look at this passage from Romans 4. Righteousness will be counted to us, his people, to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This passage talks about how Jesus saves us from our sins. The death of Jesus saves us from our sins. The resurrection of Jesus saves us from our sins. And also we're called to believe in it. So let's take a look at those three things. They're right there in the text. Let's look first as how does the death of Jesus save us from our sins? Take a look at there again. Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. Jesus is delivered up for our trespasses. That's another word for sins. It means that when Jesus is delivered up, and delivered up is kind of a judicial term. It's a way of saying this is the penalty. This, this is the, the judgment that's going to be executed on somebody. And Jesus, the judgment is executed on him for our sins. He bears the penalty that we earned. And he is willing to, he, he eagerly goes to the cross so that he is taking on the penalty for our sin. He's delivered up. So it means that as Jesus goes to the cross, he is saving us by his death. He is taking on what we cannot take on. Maybe some of you know that hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. It says, it was my sin that held him there, my sin upon his shoulders. And that means that just as much as the nails held Jesus to the cross, it was your sin and it was my sin. Now, I don't know how that lands with you. For some people, that might be a little much. You may think, oh gosh, my sins, I, I, I'm not sure I can, I, can, I can take that. I'm not sure if that's what I believe. This is, I, I'm not sure. And even if you are a Christian, you think, yeah, I understand that, but I'm not really clear on how is it that Jesus' death is the result of my sin and how does that all work together? Let me try to, to, to put it to you in this way. I hope this is helpful. When I was in seminary, at the end of each year, the people that had finished their degrees at graduation, they would get their graduation, their degrees at this big, really formal seminary everybody, every ceremony. Everybody was wearing their big, beautiful robes and the funny flat hats with the tassel and all of that. Most of the people there had earned master's degrees, and that took two or three years to get. That's what I got. So at the beginning of the ceremony, they would give everybody their diploma for their master's degree. That was most people. But at the very, very end, a few people would come forward and they would get their PhD degrees, their doctoral degrees. And it took them thousands of pages read and thousands of pages written. And instead of two or three years, sometimes it took five or six or seven or even eight years. So after they had given out the master degrees, at the very end, they would bring out the doctoral candidates and they would hand them their diplomas. And at the very end, the dean of students of Princeton Seminary would look at the PhD students and she would say, welcome to the company of scholars. That always got me. Oh, I loved it. It was so amazing to think of the great work that they had put into this this amazing select company of people who got to be received into the company of scholars. And so now, Renaissance Church, I've come here this morning to tell you, welcome to the company of sinners. <laughs> I'm not telling you that to put you down. 
I'm not telling you that as an insult. I'm giving you that news because it's good news. Because all it really means is that you are a precious instrument that was made by a master builder. But you're not able to sing like you're supposed to. Some of your strings are broken. Some of the finish is not on you as it should be. And the master builder of that instrument wants to come and make you whole. You're a house that is supposed to be a home for God Almighty himself. And God wants to come close to you to to, to enter into your life. And before he does it, he's going to fix it up. He's going to make it what it's supposed to be. To say that you're a sinner is not an insult. It's not some sort of thing to put you down or make you feel less than. It's only an affirmation that Jesus said that he came for the sick, not for the well. Jesus came to call sinners, not the righteous people. So if you are a righteous person who has nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to be forgiven and nothing you wish you could take back and nothing that feels broken inside, then Jesus is not somebody who's going to be your savior. But if you're somebody who bears that kind of sorrow or grief or heartbrokenness of what you wish you were or wish you could be, then Jesus is your savior because by his death, he takes on everything that you cannot bear. So the death of Jesus saves us from our sins. And we as human beings, little by little, we find out that we are not perfect people. But Jesus doesn't save perfect people. He saves sinners. He saves broken people like you and I. Let's go on now to the resurrection. What does the resurrection, how does that save us from our sins? Take a look at this. Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. And then on a little bit further, Jesus was raised for our justification. There's so many ways to consider how the resurrection of Jesus saves us. Here are a few. One is that the resurrection of Jesus shows us that what Jesus did on the cross, God approved of and received it as payment and absolutely true for our sins. And he raised Jesus up as proof. Jesus' resurrection is proof that what Jesus did was enough. If Jesus had stayed in the grave, it'd be hard for us to know, was he really the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Was he really one that we can trust? But by raising him up from the dead, we then can look at Jesus and say, God has said, it is enough, it is finished. What he has done is perfect and absolute and covers the sins of the world. That's one way the resurrection of Jesus saves us from our sins. Here's another. It means that we have a Savior who is right now praying for us. Jesus is our great high priest who right now is at the right hand of the Father. And so we don't just look back into the past. You should do that, but don't just look back into the past. Look back into the past and look at the cross and say, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. We can look back and know that that's true. Jesus died for our sins, but I don't want you only to look back. I want you to look up. And know that right now, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. I can't put it any better than the book of Romans puts it. Listen to this. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Think about that very first thing that it says. Who is to condemn? Sometimes do people condemn you? Their perception of you, this idea that you're somehow not good enough or not worthy enough. Sometimes do you do it yourself in your own mind? You condemn yourself. And this passage says, who is to condemn? There is only one person who can condemn you. Christ Jesus, 
the one who died. And do you know the one who can condemn you? Do you know what he's doing for you right now? What's the passage say? What's he doing? He's interceding for you. That's another way of saying he's praying for you. Jesus Christ is praying for you right now. And if there's a more comforting or encouraging thought than that, I can't think of it right now. That right now, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for the people that you love and care about. He's praying for the people that you don't care about very much at all. (laughs) Jesus is praying for you that you would receive God's love and know it fully and completely. And Jesus always gets what he wants when he prays. So Jesus is praying for you right now, and he can do that because he's raised from the dead. That's another way that the resurrection of Jesus saves us from our sins. But here is the last way to consider about the resurrection of Jesus saving from our sins. Jesus Christ raised from the dead in his body shows us that when God saves us, he saves our whole selves. He doesn't just save your spirit or your emotions. You don't become a nebulous kind of angel in the sky with no body. We look at Jesus, and he is the first fruits, 1 Corinthians tells us. And Jesus is raised up in his body and he's got hands and his feet and he's hugging people and he's eating fish with them. And this tells us what our future is as too and the future of the people that you know who have gone on, who have died. And so the resurrection of Jesus is the promise that our salvation is total and complete. It's not just part of who we are, it's all of who we are. That even though we face the grave, someday Jesus will raise us up and that physical body, the physical world that we're born into, Jesus is going to heal it. He's going to save us. My dad died when I was pretty young and I don't have very many things to remember him by, but I've got a few things. And one of the things that I have to remember him by is some tools that he made. My dad was a tool and die maker. I was never quite sure what that was, but he sure knew what it was because he made these tools and these dies that were these little machines that helped other people make things. In the shop where he worked, after he died, my sister and I went there to the Ford Motor Company right outside of Detroit, Michigan. We went into a shop and all of his tools were there and my sister got some of his tools and I got some of his tools. This is one of them right here. And it's got his name on it. He made it. It's not just that he used it. He made it with his own hands, with his skill and craft. And it's got his name right there. It says T-W-I-U-D-O. So I have this, and it's really important to me because he made it, and he touched it, and he used it. But I wasn't very smart about it because when I took it to New Jersey with me, when I moved to New Jersey to go to seminary, I was living in an apartment, and it was sitting in the window. And I left the window open one night, and it rained hard. And it got rainwater all over it. And in about one or two or three days, I saw that it had begun to rust. And I gave it to some friends later on, and they kind of helped me to clean it up a little bit. But the damage was already done, and some of the edges weren't as clean anymore, and his name is a little faded, and the letters are not quite what they used to be. And it really began to hurt me because here's this physical thing. I don't just want to think about my dad. I don't just want to sort of have a conception of who he is. I want to be connected to him physically. And I know it's the same for each one of you. Those of you who have lost people, you don't just want to have a memory of the people that you know. You want them. You want them to be saved completely. And the message of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that Jesus raises and saves people utterly and completely. That our desire to be connected to those that we love, the pain that we feel when we're torn apart from the people that we love, 
is built into us by God himself and his design through the resurrection is to raise us up. That even as we have to face the grave in this life, he will raise us up. Because in the book of Revelation, Jesus doesn't say, I make all new things. He says, I make all things new. And he's going to make each one of you new. He's going to remake this world. And the promise of the resurrection is that we are going to be in union with God and union with one another when we are in Christ. And so that leads us to the last thing. And this is important. It leads us to belief. Because the very last thing here, it's even in this passage, it says righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. What remains for us is to believe. Righteousness will be counted is another way of saying saved. We will be saved when we believe in him. And as I've talked to you about Jesus, about his death for you, the way that he took his, our sin upon him, as I've talked to you about his resurrection, that he is raising up the people who are in Christ, what now remains for us is for us to believe in that and for us to be found in Christ. And as I talk about that, you're probably hearing me say that now that's something that I have to do. Jesus has been put to the cross. He's been raised from the dead. Now there's something for me to do. And in some ways that's true. What I want you to do is entrust yourself to him. I want you to believe in him. I want you to believe that you do need to be healed. I want you to believe that you are a master instrument that's supposed to sing. But as you, want, as you believe in him, I want you to know that it's not all up to you, that even God, God even gives us strength for belief. And one of the ways that he helps us to believe is for us to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them onto him. So your job now is not to come up with a lot of belief and I think I believe as much as I should. No, 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 that's not your job. Your job now is to look to Jesus, to consider all the ways that he has served you and loved you and continues to do that. And the more that you see him, the more that you see that he has overcome every enemy that would separate you from God's love, the more you see that, the more belief is gonna bubble up in you as a gift, not something that you'll have to do yourself. I used to be a big boxing fan. You know, I didn't like to do it myself. I just like to go and watch it, you know. And I would watch it on TV. And sometimes I would even go and see boxing matches, professional boxing matches. I went to one once at Madison Square Garden. It was a heavyweight title fight. And as I was walking down the hallway uh, at this heavyweight title fight, around the corner came this enormous man. And I looked closer, and it was Larry Holmes. Some of you may know, Larry Holmes was the heavyweight boxing champion for some of the 70s and a lot of the 80s. He was one of these great champions. And when everybody saw him come around the corner, everybody just froze. We were dumbfounded. Somebody yelled, the champ is here. And we just couldn't believe it. And I was awestruck, even just to be really nearby him. I didn't get his autograph. I didn't shake his hand, just to be nearby him. And I think what really impressed me was by being near to him, I realized I was near to somebody who had beaten the best champions. Somebody who had fought against the meanest, toughest, strongest guys and had overcome them. It was amazing to be nearby somebody like that. And so Renaissance Church, here today, right in this room, is Jesus Christ. He is high and lifted up. He is here. He has promised to be here any time that two or three are gathered in his name. Jesus is here, and he is inside each one of you as well. And he has come here, and as you look at him, he is one who has overcome 
the most deadly of foes, the strong opponents that you cannot defeat on your own. Jesus Christ has gone toe-to-toe with death, and at the cost of his own life, he laid down his life so that he would overcome death for you. Jesus Christ went toe-to-toe and overcame your sin. He let it take him down. He bore all of your sins in his body on the cross. He did that for you. Jesus Christ went toe-to-toe with the devil, the one who schemes against you and even now is attempting to pull you in to darkness and into the depths and into death itself. But Jesus Christ has disarmed the devil and has made a public spectacle of him. And there's nothing that he can do because Jesus' sheep are his own. And he will always provide for them and always care for them and not one of them can be taken away from him. You can't pull one of them away from his hand because he's that strong. He's that good. He is that much of a savior by his death and resurrection. He has saved you and is saving you. So friends, believe in him. Will you do that? Will you trust in him? Will you trust in him that he wants to make you sing? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that you are a God who is a Savior, that you sent your own Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, that he is God saves. We thank you for his death on our behalf, that he was willing to be delivered up for our sins. We give you thanks that you raised him from the dead, that death could not hold him. And we give you thanks that even now he is at the right hand of your throne praying for us, And that as Jesus, the first fruits, was raised from the dead, so we, as we are in him, will be raised up too. So give us belief. Give us the strength to follow after him. Give us the strength to receive his salvation. Give us the strength to believe. We can't do that on our own. We believe, but help our unbelief. We pray all these things not in our own strength, but in the strength of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.